really quick, off the top of my head, uh, the update on uh, Riley. For those of you who are curious, uh, they should be home um, and, you know, recovering. She had surgery yesterday, was it yesterday, to put the port in, Friday, to put the port in and do some other things to prepare for the chemo and uh, the radiation is what is planned for her. So um, uh, keep them in your prayers. Um, they're going through a long, difficult road, but the Lord has been good, and uh, He will continue to be so. Uh, we are in Mark chapter 12. We're going to read through verses 28 through 34. Um, I am utterly convinced, based on the things that I have seen already this morning and uh, the sicknesses that I've heard about, that uh, Satan doesn't want me to teach on this this morning. Um, and part of that is because of what he, the Lord encouraged me with. Uh, I'm super excited to share it with you this morning. A uh, very moving uh, passage uh, that... I used to look at this passage and struggle with it a lot because I, as you read about the Lord saying you should love me with all of, and he lists out four different things, I thought, who could ever do that? And so I actually kind of almost hated this passage because of the impossibility of it and the demand of it. And uh, as the Lord walked me through it this week, it was eye-opening and it has become one of my favorite passages of Scripture. So if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Mark chapter 12. And once you get it, would you stand with me as we read verses 28 through 34, starting at verse 28, it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, What commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is none other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would just minister to us this morning, that you would speak to us from your word. Father, would you send your spirit to, to just convey to us the truths that we need to receive. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Let's put this in context before we dive into the text. Um, it's important to keep always in context. This is still Tuesday of the Passion Week. Uh, we've mentioned many times this last uh, section is going to be uh, uh, you know, from here until April, one week. One week of the life of Jesus. So we're going to spend some significant time on certain days. And, and, and we're looking at Tuesday. And if you remember what the context is, Jesus has, has taken authority as he came into the temple and he overturned everything. He hasn't really taken it. It was always his. Um, but he, he, he established that and the religious leaders didn't really like it. And, and so they uh, are constantly trying to discredit him. And, and he tells a parable about them and they really didn't like that. And then um, now we've met the last couple of Sundays with uh, 
these uh, religious leaders, namely Pharisees first and Herodians with them, uh, coming in to try and trap Jesus with questions about taxation and, and, and various things. And then the Sadducees came in who tried to trap him with this idea of the resurrection and this ridiculous story. And so they've come to try and put him to shame. And the reality is he has stumped those who have tried to stump him. And if you remember last week, we talked about the, the Sadducees kind of being the aristocrats, the, the intellectuals who had probably put the Pharisees to shame many times with this very same story and question that they come to Jesus with. And there is probably in the midst of, of this group uh, a, a scribe who had heard the Sadducees and he's now emboldened because Jesus had stumped them and put them to shame. And so he, he arises with his opportunity now. He's going to try and put Jesus to the test himself. And that's really where our text starts in verse 28. It says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing, meaning the Sadducees trying to confuse Jesus, and it didn't work. And it says they were dis disputing with one another, and seeing that he, meaning Jesus, answered them well, he's emboldened. In fact, in Matthew it tells us that, that he was a, a lawyer who, who was coming with his own question to test Jesus. It doesn't really give us that in Mark here, but that's the reality. As he comes to try and trap Jesus himself, and it says the question he asks is, which commandment is most important of all? I want to put the background on the scribes for you because it's important to know the character and the situation. The scribes were a very high position. Um, oftentimes, scribes had started about age 13 is when they would start training to be a scribe, and they would train until they're at least 30 years of age, and that's when they could be commissioned to be a scribe. And, and what they were, were they developed this an intricate process of copying the scriptures. You can read in the Old Testament about scribes and, and their, their role, and, and they, would, they were very careful in the copying of the law so that, that not one little bit was missed in any way, shape, or form because they regarded the scriptures as sacred. And, and as a result, they knew the scriptures very well, which, by the way, is a whole nother side application. You can know the scriptures and still not know the God of the Scriptures. That is a scary thought when you actually pause and think about it, because these guys knew them inside and out. They were specialized. Not all of them got to be lawyers. They were specialized professional writers, so if they didn't uh, achieve the, the status of a scribe, they might become the, the, the lawyers for families or notaries or the legal document writers. These are, this, is, this was a very uh, highly regarded position. In fact, many of the priests would look at the scribes and, and desire to be a scribe. And sometimes, because of their writings and their, 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 the precedents that they set, uh, many times what the scribes wrote would actually uh, uh, supersede the very scriptures themselves. That's how much they were regarded. And, and Jesus actually uh, mentions the scribes in, in the same, uh, uh, in a little bit in, in the story as it progresses. Uh, Matthew gives us a little more detail. Uh, Jesus kind of eventually, and we'll get to this next week, Jesus kind of says, enough. I'm, I'm done answering these questions. I'm done with these Pharisees, these Herodians, these Sadducees, these scribes. And he starts to say to the other disciples that were around him, hey guys, beware of them. 
And he lists off things that they do. And one of the things he says is that they, they care more about traditions and, and the oral written things than the actual word. So that, that's the context of this guy. And, and so he comes in and he asks this question. He's testing Jesus with this question, what commandment is most important of all? In other words, he's asking, what is the preeminent command? What is the essence of the law? If, teacher, if you are so wise, you, you take this law, could you just summarize it and tell us what is most important? And you see, this is a debate that they would have in, in Jesus' day. They would, they would talk about, you know, what is most important? What does God want? What is, what is you know, and they broke down the law. They had, uh, they had it all broke down into 364 positive commands, and, uh, and, and, and it was um, 248, uh, I'm sorry, 364 prohibitive commands and 248 positive commands, and some were viewed as heavier and more weightier. And if you remember, if you go through the story of the life of Jesus, you'll find different situations where they, they cared about the Sabbath so much more than healing people. They talked about eating with unwashed hands and various things. They, they debated these things. Which is most important, the ceremonial, the moral, the traditional. And so what this guy is doing is he's coming to Jesus and he's hoping that Jesus would pick something so that he could say, see, he doesn't believe in the ceremonial law or he doesn't believe in this aspect of the moral law. He views this as most important or that as most important. He's trying to trap Jesus. It was a debate. And essentially what he wants to know is what does God want in regards all the law. This is a question, though, that I think we all should be asking. What is most important to God? I mean, don't you want to know the answer to that? All of my life, since I've become a believer, I've wanted to know, God, what do you want? What is most important to you? That's what I've been stuck on this week as I've thought about this. He asks this question as a trap, but as believers or as human beings even, it should be a question that we all ought to be asking, what is most important to God? Don't you want to know the answer? And Jesus doesn't hesitate. Notice what he says, starting in verse 29. He says, Jesus answered, the most important is, pause with bated breath there. You notice he doesn't ask any question, you know, before he deals with the, the Pharisees and the Herodians and say, hey, Jesus, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? And, and, and Jesus, right away, he asks a question of them. The Sadducees come and they say, uh, what about the story of the, the resurrection? Whose wife will she be? And Jesus says, asks them a question. Jesus oftentimes asks questions in response to what he knows is a trap. And this is a trap and Jesus doesn't answer with a question he answers with a statement, and he starts by saying the most important. Can we pause here and just consider for a moment? Jesus is literally God in the flesh at this very moment. He is walking among them. He has put on flesh and blood. He is Jehovah, God Almighty speaking. Let that sink in. And he is about to declare for us, the most important thing to God. Let that sink in. 
Jesus, as God in the flesh, has been asked the question, what is the most important command of all? Notice he says, of all, all things. Jesus answered, the most important is, I want to know the answer. We should perk up and sit up in our seats when we hear that. This is incredible. This is a moment that should be just enjoyed and, and, and received and, and, and soaked in. So what is the answer? Jesus answers with a Shema. And I'm sure my Hebrew is terrible, but he, he answers Shema Yisrael. It's a Jewish prayer. Okay? And every good Jew will quote this prayer every morning and every night as the center of their prayer life. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, so turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I want us to read the whole context. I want to put it all together and, and break it down, all right? This is so important. And Shema, Ya Israel, just simply is Hebrew for hear, O Israel. It's the beginning of this statement. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 4, God has given the law to His people through Moses, and Moses, in speaking on behalf of the Lord, He says, hear, O Israel. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And, then, and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as, a, as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I'm going to break it down. It really is simplified and broken down into two things. So what is the most important thing that God has declared as the commandment? Number one, He wants us to understand that God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, He is one. And the second thing is that you are to love Him with all of your being. That's the, the basic breakdown of this whole prayer, is that God is one, and you are to love Him with all of your being. Consider this. When Jehovah in the flesh is asked, what is most important? What is the thing that God truly wants from us? His answer is this, and this is, this is profound to me. What God wants us to know, what He truly desires of us, is that we would, number one, know He is God alone, and two, know that all He wants is for us to love Him. Brothers and sisters, let that sink in. When Jesus was asked, what is most important? If you were to take all the law, what is the most important thing? How would you summarize it? He says, hear, O Israel. Know that the God is one and that He desires you to love Him. It's not that complex. We take this book and we, we make it a complex book of, of rules and regulations. And what God wants most of all from all of us is that we would know Him and that we would love Him. It is so important to God that He declares Notice what he says, the instructions he gives to the people of Israel. He says, uh, uh, these words that I command you shall be on your heart. You should memorize it. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You should pass it on. 
Because in one generation, it can disappear. In, in Judges, at the very beginning of the book, we read that, that a whole generation rose up that did not know God. You shall pass it on. And then he says, and, and not only that, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That's pretty all-inclusive. You should always have this on your heart and on your mind that I love God. And that he is one and he desires me to love him. He goes on, he says, you should bind them on your hand and on your head. And you should write them on the door and the gates of the city so that when you leave into the world, you know this same fact carries with you as you go. That he is one and he desires your love. So when the scribe comes to Jesus, and believe me, they would have known full well what Jesus was quoting. They would have quoted it themselves many, many times. You know, you think about it. If this guy quotes this, this prayer every morning, it was on his mind constantly. They, they would have taken their phylacteries and, and the, the, the thing that they would wear on their foreheads, and it would have in little tiny writing this very saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, He is one, and you should love the Lord your God with all your might, soul, strength, and heart. I'm sure I might have botched that, but that's okay. You get the gist of it. And he would have, they would have had it written in a little box that they would have worn on their heads. They would have had it written on the doorposts as they walked in and out of their house. They would have seen it over and over again, and yet it never reached their heart. Jesus not only does he share this, but he doesn't end there. He actually gives him another answer, something that was never requested. He actually gives him the second most important thing. He goes on, he says in verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus says all of it. In fact, in Matthew, we're told that at the end, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says, and on these two, all the law and the prophets hang. It all ties into these two. And what he means is that if you get these two right, everything else in your life falls into place. He, he takes the, the Ten Commandments, the two tablets of the law, and in the first one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says if you fulfill these, by the way, you will fulfill the first four commandments of the law. And if you fulfill the second aspect, that you would love your neighbor as yourself, you will fulfill the second six commandments of the law, the Ten Commandments, the, the summary of the law. And, and note, there is a difference in love and how Jesus says you shall love God and you shall love your neighbor. And, and, and I just find it fascinating that it is about self-love for your neighbor. So Jesus looks at him and, and, and answers him, and I just have to pause there. And, and can we just digest this for a minute? To, to take the time to, to, to look at this and to think about it. Okay, if I were to ask God what is most important, and His answer is this, that you would know me and that you would love me. That's profound to me. Maybe I'm just a, a fool, but that is so profound to me. That what God wants most is to have a relationship with me and for me to love Him. 
And, and, and naturally, as I walked through this and I asked the question, but how do I even do this? I mean, how many of us sit here and we can say, yeah, I do that really well. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, strength. I, I do that really well. That's, that's pretty easy. But the reality is, um, have you ever stopped and think about this? It's not possible to command someone to love you. I can't go home to my wife and say, honey, you have to love me. It doesn't work that way. Kids, you must love me. Love isn't just, it doesn't work like that. It's not something that's willpower issued. You can't just drum up love. It's, It's more than that. It's a divine intervention. It is something that comes not from within. So how do we even do this when God says that the most important thing is that you love me with all of your being? And and we look at that and we say, but I can't just drum that up. I have to, it's, how do I do this? How do I truly love him with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength? How do I do it? And the reality is this. Love for God does not come from within. I want to give you a couple of means. Number one, how do we do this? How do we love God with all of our being? Number one, I think we have to reflect on His love. We must reflect on His love. What does that mean? It means we're responders. We're not initiators. Ephesians tells us, for this reason, this is Paul praying for the church. He says, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, and listen to what He was praying, that you would comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? Why? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul also in writing to the Corinthians, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Over and over again, we can see what the Scriptures say about the love of Christ. And as we reflect on how much Christ loves me, how much God loves me, it drums up, if you want to use that term, it stirs up in us the reality of God's love. And the more we think on Him and His love in action towards us, the more we are able to love Him. What do I mean? Over and over again, we find in Scripture the love of God. When I went on sabbatical a couple of years ago, I had gotten to probably the lowest place in my entire life where I wanted very little to do with anything to a a, a deep despair, and all I could do was cry out to God that He would just show me that He loves me, and He did. He gave me like five different verses that 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 was my hope and my meditation for like a week. And that's all it was. And those verses were all about the fact that God's love for me is a reality and it is true. So Isaiah chapter 43, it starts out, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And then he goes on in verse 4. He says, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. 
In Zephaniah 3.17, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will extol over you with loud singing. Isaiah 49, starting at verse 15, it says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should no longer have compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Over and over again in Scripture, we are told of the love of God. And love, brothers and sisters, you want to know how to love God. We can't stir it up on our own. Love is learned. Listen to this. Love for God is learned from the expression of God's love for us. 1 John tells us that very fact. 1 John chapter 3, it says, By this we know love. How do we know love? that He laid down His life for us. 1 John 4.11 Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Over and over again, we're reminded of the truth that He loved us first. And we learn love from the expression of God's love for us. Not only that, but it is also the source of how to love one another. So we need to respond by reflecting on the love of Christ. If you are in a place where you're just like, I don't know if I can truly love God with all my heart right now. I'm going through some hard stuff. Well, here's what you do. You get to the foot of the cross and you recognize the love that Christ has poured out for us. Well, I have this this neighbor who is an absolute jerk and I can't stand him. And how could I ever possibly love him? You get to the foot of the cross and you realize that God's love has overflowed into your life and overflows into the lives of others. Over and over again, John, that wonderful epistle he wrote, he says, uh, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Over and over again, if anyone says, 1 John 4, 20, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Over and over again, the Word tells us that love for one another comes from the love that Christ has poured into us. Love received is love freely given. When you realize what you have received, it should outpour into one another. And if you can't find love for someone else, John tells us, as we already read, If you can't find love for someone else, you have not known the love of God. That's a hard thing sometimes because there are people out there that have gotten to us. They're under our craw and we just want to sock them. But the love of Christ is poured in abundance upon us. How can we not pour out in abundance? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son. So when Jehovah in the flesh is asked what is most important of all, He says, know me and love me. It's that simple. The text goes on, it tells us, and the scribe said to Him, you are right, teacher, you have truly said that He is one and there is no other besides Him. And to love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So the scribe essentially responds with, hey, excellent answer. Like Jesus needs affirmation. 
hey, that's great, that's right. And, and he says something really profound that I want you to catch. He says that to love God, to know God and to love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than... This is a scribe. This is a scribe who would have said sacrifices and, and washing your hands and, and, and all the traditions and, and the ceremonial and honoring the Sabbath and all these things are very, very important. In fact, Jesus would later condemn the, the scribes and says, Woe to you, scribes, who ignore the weightier matters of the law, who ignore moral and justice and grace, and yet you, you say that we must tie this and that, and, and you have ignored the weightier matters. This is a scribe who hears Jesus and he says that, that to, to do these very things, to recognize that he is one and to love him and to love our neighbors is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He is standing in the temple with the smoke rising around him of the sacrifices being offered in a place where arguments after argument had been going on trying to discredit Jesus about not following the ceremonial. And he stands and he says... You're right. That is more important. Samuel tells us this very thing when he comes to Saul after Saul's disobedience with the Amalekites in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And he says to Saul, why have you disobeyed the command of the Lord? And Saul says, no, I've done it. And, and Samuel says, well, why do I hear sheep and, and oxen? You have disobeyed and you have kept uh, the best of these things. And, and Saul answers him and Samuel says, what is better? He says, what is better? He says, it is better to obey than sacrifice. And to obey is to honor and to love the Lord. David, and after he had sinned with Bathsheba, he comes before the Lord. And, and what sacrifice could he possibly offer after having committed murder and adultery and all these things? And he's broken all these commandments in one day to, to bear false witness and all these things. What can he offer possibly to God to, 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 to reconcile himself? He says in Psalm 51, this incredible psalm, that a, a broken and contrite heart is what you want more than sacrifice. Isaiah chapter 1 tells us that God comes before Israel with this condemnation. He says, you have forsaken me. All of your sacrifices, all of your feasts, all of your celebratory, all this church stuff stinks to me because I don't have your heart. In Hebrews chapter 10, we're told that, that the annual sacrifices were never going to take away sin, but they were just a constant reminder of sin over and over again. And so Jesus was told by the Father that a body has been prepared that He might go and make sacrifice in a new and living way to be made because of His love. And so the scribe has some recognition, and it says that Jesus saw that He answered wisely discreetly he, he had seen that there was there was some understanding in the scribe and he says this incredibly powerful thing he says you are not far from the kingdom of God Jesus responds you are not far from the kingdom but being not far isn't close enough that's a scary thing you're not far if you're not in how far are you? The answer is eternally far. It's not enough to know all this. 
It's not enough to, to, to affirm it, to say, yeah, that's true. There needs to be experience and belief, a move beyond knowledge to relationship. As I contemplated all this and I thought through, you know, the love of Christ for us, if God wants us to love him and I can't just drum it up, I need to reflect on his love for me and I need to to understand what God has done for me for God so loved the world. Various texts that remind us of God's love for us and, and as we see that and our heart is overwhelmed by God's love, it should pour out not just to uh, him but also to those around us. And I, and I was thinking about this and and. The Lord brought me to this passage in John chapter 17. Jesus is in the upper room. Or I'm sorry, he has been in the, in the upper room with his disciples. He has been ministering to them. And then he goes into what is called his priestly prayer. And in John chapter 17, he prays many things. He prays for, for his disciples. He prays for those whom God has given him, that they would be entrusted and protected. And he prays for... Uh, uh, his Father's glory to be shown through what He is about to do. He prays many things and then He turns gears and He says, I pray not only for them, meaning the disciples, but I also pray for those who are coming. And this is partly the Nate paraphrase. But in verse 23 of that chapter, there's this incredible statement that Jesus makes as He's praying. He prays and He says, I in them and you in me, this is what Jesus is petitioning the Father for us. He says, I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Do you realize that Jesus not only wants us to love him, but He wants us to know, and He prayed to the Father, that we would know that we are loved as much by the Father as Jesus was loved by the Father. I mean, let that sink in to your heart. That Jesus prayed that you would know that God Almighty loves you as much as He loved the Father and His Son. Over and over again in Scripture we can find this and it should well up in us a, a reservoir of love for the Father that we can declare how great Thou art. So what's the application of all of this? The first and most important, I think, is a simple question. Are you in? Have you believed the gospel that He loves you and has come to redeem you? Because if you're not in, if you're close, it's not good enough. And we could sit here and assume that since I see many of you here every week, that, that uh, you must be believers, for why else would you come? But the reality is I'm never going to assume, and we should never assume that anybody is in. And the reality is this, that the gospel has been very clearly proclaimed to us that Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, that they fell into sin, which was disobedience to God. And since then, sin has been present in life and every single human being since that time has tried to resolve that, that problem and has tried to get rid of it. And, and 
in their own flesh. They will never, ever be able to do it. But God so loved the world that he said, I have the solution. I'm going to send my son into human likeness so that he can dwell among you. He can put on flesh and blood. He can, he can be tempted and, and, and go through all the same tortures that you go through so that you can never say, well, it's not fair because you didn't know what I was experiencing. Whew, losing my breath. I'm passionate about this because we all should be passionate about the gospel because it is of most importance because we don't want to ever say to someone, you are not far from the kingdom, but you're not in. And the reality is because God's love, he sent his son, his son died as a payment for sin for all mankind. And we're told in the scriptures that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that is the love of God declared for us, that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And if we can believe that and understand it and put our hope and our faith in him, because the reality is that we are only in the kingdom of God because of Him. And surely if I can make it in, any of you can make it in. And we are only in it because God doesn't see me. He sees Christ in me. And that's the gospel. The second application is this. Do you love Him? God Almighty in the flesh declared what is of preeminence, what is of most importance. He says, love me, know me, and love me with all that you have. What does that mean even? This is something that I have struggled with all my life. Don't do things for him to get his love. You are not defined your love is not defined by your service or your sacrifice to Him, but by your sonship in Him. My kids can go and clean their room as angry as a hornet all they want. That's not a display of their love for me. We can do acts of service in bitterness and in in. in, in disappointment, whatever it is, that does not display our love. Brothers and sisters, as we love Him, our hearts are transformed and we want to do those things. But we don't do those things to display or to receive His love for us. He wants your love more than your service. And He loves you already because of Christ in you. Brothers and sisters, cling to that hope. Cling to that hope. He loves you because of Christ in you. So my challenge is this. We're told in Scripture, if you pray anything according to His will, we can know that we will receive the petitions. So could we set it in our hearts and in our minds to pray and ask God to help us love Him? You know, I think there's something too that prayer, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, He is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, heart, and strength. We get so distracted as the day starts and pulled in every different direction and the, the thoughts that come in and the things that distract me for the, the, the various tasks of the day. And if we could just pause in the morning and reflect and say, God, would you help me stay on target? Would you help me to remember that you are... O oh Lord, are one. 
And you desire for me to love you with all of my being. That you desire me to love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Can we start our day with this type of prayer? It says, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Because Jehovah had spoke. He gave him the answer. And the answer was this. The greatest and most important thing is here, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are truly God. There is none like you. That when Satan challenged you, you sent to him Michael, the archangel, whose name means who is like God. Father, we recognize that you alone are God, that you are powerful and mighty, that you are great. Father, would you constantly remind us of this truth and would you constantly remind us that your desire that what you want from us is love father i pray for those here today that first of all do not know you that have never experienced a relationship with you because they have not received the love of christ dwelling richly in their hearts that they have not known the height the breadth the depth of your love that surpasses all understanding. Father, I pray that today they would not be near the kingdom of God, but that they would come and enter into the kingdom of God because you have declared that whosoever believes shall never be put to shame. Father, I pray that they would cast aside all fear of what somebody around them might say. That they would recognize that a loving Father is calling and beckoning them. Please come. And Father, I pray for us as we so often burden ourselves with tasks and burdens that you have never asked us to do. That we would come and sit at your foot and receive the love that you have poured out upon us that we might in turn respond with love. Father, we desire to love you with all of our being. We thank you for what you have done for us. And we ask that you would help us to experience your love, that we might express it to one another as well. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.